and do a promposal dance where they say sorry for our almost genocide and also <laughs> the K-pop narwhals are there and yeah, there's can, <laughs> can we talk about Hyunsu please? I love the K-pop narwhals. <laughs> Hyunsu has abs. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Layla. And this week, we talk about the series finale of Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Before we team up with K-pop narwhals to deliver the best promposal ever, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. Where to begin with Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts? Well, before we get to Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, uh, sign up for our newsletter. It's coming. We're almost at the first of the month. I usually send it out around then. One, two. Before we get into the show, there's something happening in our fine nation of the United States of America that I feel like I could only really talk about with you. So I would like to take 45 seconds to delay the true end of Kipo. Um, and, uh, listeners, I did not warn him I was going to be doing this, so this is raw off the cuff. Can we spend a second talking about the mysterious Utah obelisk? I have seen posts about this on Twitter, but I have no idea about the Utah obelisk. Please enlighten me. Okay, so there is, was, in Utah, this mysterious obelisk, steel obelisk, on public land that just appeared it's been there apparently for a little while, but no one knows who put it there. And no one knows how it got made, how it got there. Apparently it's like sheets of steel alloy riveted together. And it was just found like a week ago, just this mysterious obelisk in the middle of the Utah plateaus, I guess, mountains on public land. And Aaron, it's gone. Yeah, that's... This shit was taller than, I think it was three and a half meters tall. And it's gone. Um, have I ever told you about my theory that we all live in a video game, like somebody's game of The Sims? No, but please expand. I just feel like, especially this year, we it's felt like we've all lived in a very vindictive person's own like simulation game. Where they're just like, hmm, what's a dumb thing I could do to fuck with the the little sim sim people running around in my com- my my computer? How about uh, okay, we gotta gotta have a pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, mm-hmm. um, gotta make the their governments do some real dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and I just got the aliens expansion pack, so let's test the waters in Utah, and then we're gonna just really kick it off here uh, in the next cycle. Um, and that's that's just how I felt. Um, about uh in 2020 especially but the past you know five years of things just escalating in weirdness it just it makes more sense to me that way yeah i feel like uh between this and that whole like the u.s navy says ufos are real bullshit that happened i don't know if you remember exposed by the lead singer of blink 182 i think or some shit um yeah i mean that sounds plausible yeah um you know i just thought we like to time travel here on this podcast. We go back and forth between like the late eighties and and present day, and sometimes we do some speculative speculation about the near future. Um, but I just, you know, sometimes it's nice to date uh, what's happening around us while we uh, talk about shonen protagonists. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just, you know, I feel like. You and I acknowledge that shit gets so goddamn weird, I couldn't help but, you know, bring it up and and just acknowledge that the obelisk is gone now. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll be back. Uh, Don't worry. That'll be worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like, what else can we expect in this year, right? That's true. Uh, Maybe a mega mute put it there, which is my transition to let's talk about uh, this wonderful television program that you and I both uh, enjoyed. 
Uh, yes. So me and Layla previously uh, on this podcast, we watched the first two seasons of Kipo, um, which uh, detail the adventures of a young um, half black, half Korean woman uh, named Kipo Oak, who uh, lives in the far flung future of 2220, where she and a lot of other humans live underground. Uh, she previously was able to explore the surface world, make some friends, and discover that she's actually the result of a genetic experiment that allows her to turn into a super big, enormous pink jaguar. Um, and she has to stop the human uh, doctor who turned her own mom into a super enormous big monkey um, and her surrogate uh, foster brother who wanted to turn everybody into gold. Uh, but anyway, this doctor woman, Dr. Amelia, is trying to uh, ethnically cleanse all the sentient mutants by creating a quote-unquote cure to remove their um, humanity or their senti- sentience or whatever from them. Um, and that's sort of the, the main crux of this season three is uh, Kibo trying to figure out how to prevent all her new friends who are mutants from uh, being being wiped out. Um, this show is rated Y7. Uh, and they handle some topics. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I, if I actually wrote it down in my notes. I know you did. But like you said, this show is rated Y7. Like, it is a kid's show. And to that effect, it is funny. It is colorful. It's entertaining. There's music. It's got a good, the story is like easy enough to follow, you don't need to know a lot. There's not a lot of lore. They do a lot of really effective world building. But, like, man, Amelia being trapped in her own head with, like, a sad mega mute version of herself behind her, that fucked a bitch up. Just, yeah, extremely dark. Like, that whole final fight where Kipo is and her are, like, having that weird, like, mech battle um, where they're having, you know, they're in their own heads in the clouds. And then, like, as Amelia starts to lose the battle, she starts drowning in her own mind. And then like, she's just like up to her neck and then she looks over and there's this like big kaiju version of her just like weeping, just like so afraid of the human psyche at, that it's sharing a body with. And then she's just like, whatever. And then she goes, and then at the end, she still tries to stab Kipo to death with a glass shard. Like it's so much. <laughs> Kipo's 13. <laughs> Yeah, she really, like, pounded the shit out of this 13-year-old girl because Kipo also has, like, a water, brainwater sequence. But she's always on the surface. She is anchored. She knows what she's doing. She knows how to go back and forth between being a mega and herself. But, like, there was just this shot that really stood out to me of, like, it was just a wide shot of Kipo getting flung back and forth by Amelia's punches and she is all alone. I'm like, you are beating the shit out of a child. How do you... How do you, like, justify that in your brain? Oh, well, I mean, her dad was clearly a white supremacist, uh, <laughs> just based on the beard alone. <laughs> um, <No>. but <laughs> She literally just looked like an Egypt version of that, like, uh, the, the meme with the white dude with the slick, you know, the, the blonde. It's drawn in, like, the style of a Pepe almost. Yeah, yeah, one of those, like, Chad dudes. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> really just looks like that got older, um... She also killed her brother. That was a fun... Yeah, like, we just got a completely out-of-nowhere flashback. Like, oh yeah, by the way, Amelia had a brother, and then she murdered him. Like, are we gonna humanize her a little bit? Yeah, sure. But then we're also gonna completely undo all that work. Yeah, (laughs) Um, because I'm pretty sure in the beginning of that episode, she looked at a photo of herself and Liam, her brother, and it was, like, a motivator. And usually when characters do that, it's like, I'm doing this for you, you know, for, like, a deceased loved one, relative sibling, whatever. But uh, we found out like 10 minutes later, Song was like, no, that bitch said some shit to me when I was a monkey. (laughs) And guess what? He made friends with Brad of Ratland, which fucking press F to pay respect to Brad. Oh my God. I'm about to talk about the deaths here in a bit. (laughs) Oh my God. That was the saddest one for me, I think, is is, uh, uh, Brad and Amy. But uh, yeah, uh, she just, you know, he got some cheese whiz from Brad and she was like, no, you're gonna die. That's a crime punishable by death, is getting some cheese whiz from Ratland. Like, <sighs> it's some so characters brutal. are irredeemable. Yeah, I know. And like, um, there's a YouTuber that I watched a little uh, video essay, Fall- Falling with Style, 
Um, and they, they like brought up that like, yeah, it was probably a good choice that, you know, Emilia wasn't redeemable because like we very much did get, not only did we get like her, you know, sabotaging Kipo's attempts at peace again and again, but we also got this sequence at the end where it's like, yeah, she tries to stab Kipo and then, you know, she gets sent to, uh, super hell with fucking fun Gus, who's going to torture her for all eternity. Um, and then Kipo and Benson and Wolf are all standing there and they're like, yeah, um, I mean, I guess we could rescue her, right? But, like, they choose not to. Like, K- Kipo could very much, like, they'd be a fun Gus before. If she really wanted to, she'd be like, no, we're definitely going to save her. But, like, they're like, no, actually, you get you get four different times and then it's no more. Um, and I do appreciate that because it's like, yeah, like, it shows that even Kipo, whose whole motivating and, like, you know, character, you know, the whole whole core of her character is being friendly and trying to unite people and, and give people second chances. Um, you know, even her, she's like, all right, that's enough. Um, and I do appreciate that in like a kid's show that's like, you should try very hard to be, you know, kind to people, but also there is a point. Yeah, there there is certainly a point. Um, and I think the uh, the Chevra sisters tried to predict that when, when they consulted the cheese, but mm-hmm. also... Um, you had it in your notes where uh, uh, Song and Leo, her parents, acknowledged, like, no, going after Amelia and kicking her ass is the right thing to do. It is not the right thing for this 13-year-old we're raising to do. So I think I think she went down in a very appropriate way, and Fungus is absolutely fucking terrifying, so... Oh, yeah, you very know. scary. <laughs> uh, um. as, as Benson put it, uh, she is now trapped forever with an immortal uh, mute who wants nothing more than to be her best friend. So, Yeah, an extremely fitting punishment for, um, you know, somebody trying to do ethnic cleansing. So, uh, Yeah, and a murderer, like a straight yeah. up murderer. Yeah. Um, God, there's just so much wild stuff in this show like and i do appreciate the way that it brought in all sorts of corners of the last two seasons together in like this this big grand finale like and, and it worked with the themes of like you know people being friends and protecting each other and you know resolving you know millennia not millennia but centuries long differences um in a, like a fairly healthy way like like at the beginning right let's talk about uh scarlamane right because scarlamane is captured at the end of this uh season two and, um, you know, Kipo being the kind-hearted and, you know, happy-go-lucky uh, kid that she is, is like, okay, hey, I know you did try to you know, melt everyone and turn them into gold statues, but what you could do is say you're sorry. And then Scarlet Vane originally is just like, but I'm not sorry. I wanted, I wanted to do that. Um, and she's like, well, we'll work on you. And through the course of the the season three, like, you know, they, they make Car- Scarlet May do community service. They make him help uh, Song out when she's still a mega monkey. And they, he, my favorite sequence at the beginning was when he had to babysit all the little kittens and the, the tiny baby mutes. And like they did charades with him. Uh, that was really cute. And, and I love that. But like over the course of this season, you see Scarlet May realize like, oh, hey, Kipo actually is, is kind of great. Um, uh, oh, what's the quote that like when he him and Wolf are trying to go, you know, assassinate Emilia, basically, they have this team up and they're looking around and they're talking about Kipo. And um, what do they say? He he finally gets to this point where he's like, you know, I I do regret a lot of the things I did. You know, I for my own ambitions. I mean, I know I've been hurt, but for my own power play, I I missed out on a lot. I missed out on the family I could have had. I, you know, I didn't get to grow up with Kipo. And then he's, and then Wolf is like, well, why'd you throw that all away? And he's like, I wanted power. Who does it? And then they both are like, uh, Kipo. And he says, that girl would find a reason to befriend a broom, which is like so funny. And like, uh, it's just, I can't believe a show that is designed for fucking seven year olds goes into this sort of like, trauma that comes with like betrayal and also has jokes about you know your your uh estranged sister being so friendly she'd she'd hang out with brooms like uh i can't i can't believe this show i mean like scarlet mane and wolf are probably like my favorite development of the season too because they're just so fucking funny together like 
they start out completely not trusting each other, which is very fair. Again, Scarlamane did try to make everyone a gold statue. That's very rude and unlike unlikable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do team up and uh, <laughs> at some point they're decorating the float and <laughs> someone steals the paint bucket and the ladder and they're bo- and then eventually the float and they're both like, it's Amelia. It's Amelia for sure. And Scarlamane says... <laughs> We have a saboteur in our midst, and Wolf doesn't know what a saboteur is, so her, she just spends the next four times calling it Sabater, and it drives him so fucking crazy. It is the funniest thing they could have put on television for me. Like, it was so incredible, and then it dissolves into this, like, I think the thing I appreciate the most about the show, and, like, the thing that maybe makes it more fun for, like, the Y7 audience is just the raw chaos of it sometimes, because two squirrels did steal a float, and the squirrels do have short-term memory loss like I've never seen before. <laughs> I do, I hated the squirrels, personally. I thought they were really a, a wild introduction into, like, the last half of this series. Just like, hey, we're gonna throw these random characters in there for no reason. And I mean, the reason is, like, they probably just had to stretch it out for ten episodes, so, like, you know... I understand why they introduced the treasure squirrels. Um, but at the end of that sequence, they have this uh, prom, which is like, um, it's an ac- one of Kipro's ridiculous acronyms. It's basically just like, hey, we should have a humans and mute conference to talk about how we're sorry for doing a bad things to each other. And the way that they get the mutes to come to prom, quote unquote, is by building this float and having all the humans come out of it and do a promposal dance where they say sorry for our almost genocide and also <laughs> the k-pop narwhals are there and yeah, there's can, we... <laughs> can we talk about hyunsu please i love the k-pop narwhals <laughs> hyunsu has abs and, I- <laughs> and eyeliner <laughs> and I- he blows little heart bubbles and i love it <laughs> He's so funny when he is captured. Um, Dog, Dog, like is like trying to figure out where because he's just singing in his cell, uh, and she goes down to find him on the boat, and she's like, "Oh wow, my my magical space our angel voice. I I knew it was you all along." And she's like, "Why are you crying?" And he's like, "I'm not crying. I just have a sad face." <laughs> fucking Narwhal BTS is my favorite thing. It's Narwhal so BTS funny. Is- they're so fucking funny, and the worst part is that Oceans of Love is catchy. Oceans of Love fucking slaps. I've listened to that song three times today. <laughs> Oceans of Love is a bop. I would listen to it. If I could get it on my workout playlist, I will. It is so excellent. Like, they, the K-pop narwhals get introduced in episode, like, two, I think, where they're performing, and I... Like, I couldn't even process what I was watching for a little while. And when Hyunsu gets kidnapped, I was like, I was like, this is the biggest tragedy. Because uh, uh, Amelia gets, the first, like, round of exper- of kidnappees is Jamak, which, fucking excellent. Excellent character. Jamak's opening solo in the first episode where he's singing about Kipo sent me places I didn't think I could go emotionally. <laughs> that uh, frog's voice made me feel things. <laughs> just, just a great love. <laughs> Um, it was Jamak, it was Boom Boom, who <laughs> to keep reminding Kipo was kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, he's not our friend. We have to make sure. He's not our friend, but he was kidnapped. <laughs> so we will save him. We gotta save our friends. And Boom Boom. And Boom Boom. Um, and it was Hyun And I just, I would commit crimes for Hyun but I think I would commit like a full-scale war atrocity for Dog Because <laughs> her introduction into this season is to dance into the cafeteria where Kipo's hiding with her friends. Of ready to rescue these, and she just poses at the wall and goes, "Sing to me, wall siren." And I like, I lost it. I think <laughs> I lost it, and I never found it. Oh my god, Doug is Doug is in the uh, runaway star here. She coaxes completely out of nowhere, and then like is just dancing throughout in the background through the whole uh, season. And then at the end, when her dad turns good, and they all join into the K-pop song, and then he also like starts doing these wild dances, and Kipo's like, ah, that's where she gets it from. <laughs> Doug stays in a split the entire time Kipo was explaining Amelia's evil plot to her. Like Doug goes into a split finds Kipo, it cuts away to a different scene in the lab, and then it cuts back to Kipo going, and that's why Amelia's wrong! And Dog is still in the fucking split. 
She is an angel. She is everything to me. She, I just a runaway performance. I would rewatch the season. I would do like a, just a a dog commentary watch <laughs> of this season because she is truly. She does not stop dancing. DreamWorks release the dog cut. Really? <laughs> release. Give me a dog movie. Like I know you mentioned there was going to be a wolf movie at some point, maybe, or the writer was talking about it. Give yeah. me the dog movie. <laughs> oh, just like Kronk's new groove, but. <laughs> Just a dance special. Very, very similar though. Um, oh, um, let me think. How do you feel about? Okay, so this show commits the anime trope of uh, ending on an epilogue. Um, now I don't know if you consider epilogues to be good or bad. I generally think they're okay. It depends, yeah. but I think I think they're good. Generally fine. Um, how did you? I mean, how did you feel about like the main arcs of specifically? Um, like Benson and Dave and like Wolf, like how how did you feel about like not only the progression through the story, but also like where they they ultimately ended up after the five year time skip? Uh, first of all, I want Kipo's sick jacket. That jacket looks cool as hell, and a lot of people have made customs of it. Um, I'll send you some tweets. Oh, uh, please do because they do a close up on the back of that jacket, and like usually, I hate like character redesigns after time skips or like at least they just they feel incongruent to me um full model alchemist brotherhood had pretty good ones of the boys just chilling in the country and their hair got longer and well al cut his but you know what i mean um you know to show the time has passed edward's ponytail is longer now um but these were all spot the fuck on um and kipo's was probably my favorite kipo looks great Kipo looked fucking fantastic. I am here for 18-year-old Kipo. Um, uh, say with Wolf. She's got her little flannel. I like that little little silhouette callback um, to her, her wolf coat, which we need to talk about Greta and Greta making Wolf realize that she was dealing with some shit. Uh, and the Benstorant. The Benstorant is so good. Is every, like, Troy and Benson started a restaurant together, and it, because not only did they kiss in this children's show, which probably- Full on, straight, that was, I think it's probably the only, the only kiss besides maybe, like, Leo and, um, Song, um, like, it's the only, like, actual, like, romantic kiss that happens in the whole show, and it's between two young, uh, queer people. Boys specifically, yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah, and uh, also Troy, supportive boyfriend Troy, uh, where he got really mad about the pancake incident. Mm -hmm. For Benson, (laughs) incredible. (laughs) um, Yeah, they, like, again, epilogues can be so hit or miss sometimes, but it was just so satisfying to see them, like, building a life together. Um, Same with Wolf being just, like, a dog trainer, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, just like uh, leader of the pack keep on just looking cool um it was nice to see all the families i think all the arcs wrapped up really nicely um i think everyone had like a good solid character progression you got to see everyone evolve and relate and um i don't know grow to be like a real family and i think that uh the thing that helped that was leo kind of adopted all of these children like he had a dad moment with pretty much all of them him and Wolf walking off when Song and Kipo needed to have a moment going, come on, we need to talk. And then they just like, <laughs> they just go, okay, now laugh. Ha! <laughs> or like great. him and um, Dave, where they're just like, have a boys night to, to distract yeah. um, Leo from like the fact that his daughter's on like a, you know, deadly mission. Uh, they just like drink a lot of soda and get extremely hyper. And go steal Molly's axes with Yum Yum. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. And then the- <laughs> Dave is just like, man, Molly was real mad. She killed me five times. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, he coached Benson on how to ask Troy out to, to prom. So yeah, I think it, it was just real a real sweet found family moment. It was nice. I liked it a lot. I also like Kipo cheering on her mom doing science. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, just like in front of a chalkboard doing equations and Kipo's she's like, I just don't wanna I just don't wanna let Kipo down. And then the camera pans over to her shoulder and it's just Kipo and Wolf sitting six feet behind her, just going like, You can do it, Mom <laughs> 
And then Wolf's like, is this what you thought having a mom would be like? And she's like, uh, yeah, basically. And Wolf's like, uh, yeah, I guess that figures for you. I'm pretty sure there's a dream sequence that directly mirrors this moment. I could be wrong, but I'm like pretty sure in a previous season. But, um, yeah, how did you feel about all, all of it? Like, did you, did, were you satisfied? I mean, yeah, no, I think they all end pretty satisfactorily. I mean, I think all the characters are in the right place where, where they, where they probably should, uh, end up. Um, I think that Wolf's, uh, story arc is probably, besides Kipo's, the most effective in, in this season, uh, because we do get like that beginning where, cause Wolf meets up with the, you know, her old sister who betrayed her when she used to be raised by wolves. And like, she has to go through her own, um, processing of her feelings about how, you know, she was, you know, let go from her family and, and had to fend for herself and realizes that like the fact that she, I mean, Greta points this out, the fact that she wears a wolf skin, like makes her feel like she, you know, blends in, like straddling the line between mutant and human because she can never really uh, fit in with either. And then like, you know, she has that, that big reveal that she's like, Hey, you know, the reason that you're, you're doing that is because you, you can't trust anyone. That's how you, you feel like that because of your own personal problems. And, you know, Wolf has to come to grips with the fact that like, yeah, she is kind of closed off and, and she has to deal with her own trauma. And that's, very important and also she reciprocates that uh revelation by being like hey greta you're smart i know that dr amelia says you're not smart but you're actually smart and i think that's nice and then greta's like oh really okay (laughs) um and that's i really i thought that's really nice yeah she i mean first of all justice for greta second of all um yeah because she says something along the lines of like okay do you are you doing what you want to be doing or are you just doing what amelia is doing she's like or no, sorry, no, that was Zane. Who, oh, God, Zane and Label. Zane. <laughs> Zane, Label. Zane and Label just give me so much energy um, with their fucking workout routine. Yeah, no, she she asks um, Amelia, she basically insinuates that Amelia just keeps calling her stupid so that Greta doesn't think she's smart enough to make her own decisions, but she actually is and she should make her own decisions, which just buoys me that the, the catalyst in Greta coming over to the mute side, or to, sorry, to Hamufa, uh, is uh, Hamufafa <laughs> is uh, they do offer her pancakes and yeah. that's really all it takes <laughs> Scarlamane and <laughs> Scarlamane and Wolf are like alright we gotta figure out how to make you talk and then Scarlamane's like what if I just mind controlled her and then and Wolf's like no you told Kipo not and they're like well hmm, I guess pancakes are the only option and it works extremely well which I thought was nice uh, before we talk about anything else, I feel like we should talk about, uh, Yamian, uh, real quick. Uh, so that is the point at which I texted you, uh, last night. Um, I was watching this in preparation for it and episode four, they have this confrontation with Amelia because Amelia's captured Wolf and Benson and Dave and like, they're doing this like fucking computer simulation with the tardigrade Mulholland. Like he's running them through this dream sequence in Kipo's mind for how she can defeat, um, uh, defeat Emilia in this no win situation where her friends are held hostage. And, you know, Kipo just is just like, all right, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this, but you know, here we go. And, you know, she goes into this situation and she, she manages to save all her friends from, uh, Dr. Emilia without getting a, a cure dart shot at her. But then, um, we just, like, see, like, the cure dart, like, bounces off of something, and it, like, spins in the air, and, I was, like, and it, like, comes down, the camera, like, shows it, like, spinning towards Yummyan, and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, did they get Yummyan? And then, like, it just started, um, you know, Yummyan just started, like, walking very slowly, and he's just like, ugh, oh, and you could just, like, tell, and you're just like, oh, no, this is the point, this is the point where they get Yummyan, and then, like, this whole, the whole backstory in that episode was, um, was Leo, or not Leo, um, Song and Scarlamane trying to figure out how to communicate. And Scarlamane was like, okay, I'll help you communicate, but you have to do a favor for me. And she's like, okay, whatever. And at the end, we get this shot of Scarlamane playing his piano because he was mad that he could only hear the banjo music. And he's playing a piano cover of the Yumyan Hammerpaw song as Yumyan like slowly fades from sentience. I fucking bawled. It was like eight in the morning and i was just weeping at my computer just like oh my god yeah uh 
Yeah, I think that was the first moment I, like, teared up. Um, and then the thing that got me next is, so, like, Amelia, the, her whole thing is she wants to, like, cure, quote-unquote, cure these mutes to being animals again. And so she gets, Yum Yum's the first one, and then there's, like, this big attack on the, um, uh, on the camp, on the Humufa camp. Uh, and, first of all, one of the funniest fucking lines is Jamak talking about Death Ivy going, uh, yeah, if you touch it, it'll kill you to death or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really good. Maybe <laughs> gave me a little belly laugh right before, like, the most emotionally draining episode. But so, like, a lot of mutes get got. Like, Camille gets got. A lot of named mutes who had, mm-hmm. like, plot points in this season. Camille gets got, um... And uh, a few others, but the one that really made me upset was Brad of Ratland. Um, at one point, Amy tries to make him a little, little Ratland called Bradland, and then she just goes, but it turned out like Sadland, and I <laughs> got so sad for her. And then she just carries Brad around the rest of the season, and she comes to prom, and she's like, I'm not here to reconcile. I want them to see what they did to Brad. Literally tearing up talking about it right now. It was so sad. And she, like, keeps carrying Brad around until the humans all save the mutes from the the cure fireworks. Um, And only then does she come around to, like, reconciling uh, with with people. But, like, holy shit, this show is for seven-year-olds! And I think that's an important point. Because, like, even after the time skip, even after the whole conflict is over, the people who are cured don't get uncured. They're gone. Like... This show doesn't pull any punches. Like, it doesn't bring people back from the dead or, you know, restore them to their former selves. They're just fucking gone. And, like, I think that's an incredibly smart choice just to be like, yeah, I mean, there are stakes in this program and, like, the actions have consequences. And, like, this is, you know, a lot of, like, programming that at least I would have watched when I was younger would have had, you know, the you know, the vaccine or whatever be able to turn them back into their regular selves or something. Well, but, like, how many times does Goku come back from the dead? Yeah, I mean, like anime, right? Like, Goku (laughs) literally, in the first three episodes of Dragon Ball Z, dies and goes to heaven. Like, (laughs) And then it's like, hey, don't revive me for a year. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, resurrection is is such a common trope in in all sorts of media. There's prominent religions based around resurrection. Like, but the fact that, like, this show was willing to be like, no, we're not bringing people back, I think is is heartbreaking because I really wish Brad and Yumyun had, had... been able to be part of the great new you know mutant hamufa yeah joint but like you know there this is this was a war and wars you know have cost and i think it was it was just brilliant um sad and, and i'm 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 like genuinely still very upset about yumian um like god the fact that like these i don't know why this of all programs hit me so hard like I was, we, I mean, we just talked about the Burning God, and I was, like, very upset about the Burning God, but, like, I don't know, maybe it was just because I could tell that Rin's story was one about, like, you know, sadness and nobody was gonna have a happy ending. The fact that, like, this is a, like, a colorful, bright, fun show that's really funny and smart for kids has these, like, very tragic losses, like, maybe that's, that's what I wasn't expecting, but, like, uh, I don't, I don't know, but, like, this... I think Kipo, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts is my favorite media I've consumed this year across the board. Um, and probably is probably top five of, of media I've ever consumed. If you, if you take the whole series, all three seasons, probably one of my favorite media products ever. And it's, it's just a lot to handle from a show that's, that came out in one year and is aimed at 10 year olds. Like, yeah yeah it is it is quite a bit to handle i don't know what it is about media aimed at children i think maybe because it's less contrived than stuff that's aimed for adults like again the we always come back to the burning god because i mean like it it is a story that sticks to your bones a bit right but the thing about it that is there's a lot of mechanics to it you know what i mean like there's mechanics of war there's strategy there's a lot of like lore and things you have to really dig into which isn't a bad thing it's just kind of a yeah well it's like yeah like it's the trappings of the fantasy genre right especially epic fantasy where you're getting you know 
all the troop movements and you know the stratagems and the the logistics and then all the weird details uh, about you know how you're going to make your cool combat plan work and the the lore about your magic system like that's all part of the the genre and it's expected and it's good and and it I would not have that genre any other way but also I think I I don't know if this is where you're going with with this but I feel like Kipo is able to get away from all those extra trappings and really like nail down the story. Yeah, I think that's that's true of like a lot of media aimed at children. Uh, I'm willing to go pretty broad with that statement just because like Shira kind of did the same thing too, right? Like it's also like a pretty epic high fantasy um, uh, show, but again, aimed at children. And there's a lot of lore, there's a lot of stuff happening, but I mean, it's not like we're talking troop movements, you know what I mean? So there's not a lot of things to get lost in and you can just kind of spend time with the characters and... It goes all the way back to, I don't know if you remember, but when we read Prince and the Dressmaker, there's that note in the back where she said that, like, teens just feel things at a heightened level. And I think, like, really, really good writers and really good showrunners like Rad Seacrest and, like, um, Noelle Stevenson, they can just take that and bottle it and throw it at you. And you can just kind of relive uh, being a teen where everything feels super, super, super intense all the time, so... And also, children's media isn't, like, cynical, usually. And cynicism tends to, like, I don't know, dampen emotion sometimes. It definitely I could, it definitely dampens my enjoyment of things, I guess. Um, you know, I, I hate, you know, I hate people who are like, oh, I'm cynical because I'm edgy. But, like, you know, I, I, I mean, listen, if you've been living in the past 10 years, like, you probably have gotten considerably more cynical about everything. And it is just kind of nice to engage with the work of media that is... Um, like idealistic and hopeful even though there are you know bad things that happen in it yeah and i mean it's realistically hopeful of the human condition right so like we talked about like amelia is not a redeemable person um no matter how much kipo tries and even kipo has to acknowledge at the end that like yeah she tried to stab me with glass after i saved her so like i might be beyond beyond even hamufa um but on the other hand, Scarlamane um, gets to go out on his own terms, which, man, you want to talk about crying? I found out that the entire narration of the epilogue was Kipo filling in Scarlamane on what's happened over the last year, and it was his birthday. I fucking, I mean, you saw my notes. I was bawling. Like, it was five o'clock in the morning. I was emotional. I was tired and sad. And, like, I had meant to watch one episode, and I ended up watching six. So, like... Oh, man, I, Scarlamane, leave my sister alone, hurt so bad. It was, that one, yeah, uh, I haven't even thought about, about Scarlamane, because, like, that's, his whole arc here is, like, you know, uh, I bring up the example of Zuko and Avatar, right, the person who does bad and has to go through a whole, you know, several season arc of redemption, and I think that Scarlamane does something similar in, in less time. I still think it's, you know, very effective because we get, we do get to spend a lot of time with him and we see how he, he grows. And, and originally he's like, yeah, I'm not sorry. I could just say I'm sorry, but I'm not. And he slowly learns to actually recognize that Kipo's dream is, is good and recognize that he, what he really wanted was a family. And like in the end, right, there's, there's like two very important moments. The first is when, you know, those fireworks at the cure go off and, um, leo and song shield him with a blanket like they used to when he was a little baby mandrel like they cover him with a blanket and protect him from being cured and it's that moment where he's like oh i've had my family with me the whole time and now i have to make sure that they're protected and he takes his fucking twin-headed uh flamingo convertible and drives it into uh, uh emilia's face uh basically killing him um but he does have one final moment with leo and song and kipo and they're all together and she's just like scarlamane i'm so sorry and he's like call me hugo and i was just like oh i'm actually crying right now <laughs> yeah this. i have Shit. tears in my eyes it's, it's... <laughs> fuck me oh man <laughs> i don't know I, it made me so redemption arcs are really hard it is really hard to make them effective and like zuko is one of the most famously referenced ones because it takes him a long time to come around and like that's the thing about scarlamane it takes him a long time to come around but also at the end at prom 
he apologizes of his own volition. He apologizes in a real way, where he, not in not by telling a convoluted metaphor about a summer. <laughs> when label comes to his fucking, <laughs> I'm like laughing and crying at the same time. Um, yeah, the, he tells us like the first time he apologizes, he tells this stupid metaphor about a summer storm. Like I couldn't even follow it. Keep <laughs> up. <laughs> Kipo takes it back to his, like, enclosure and label. <laughs> he just shows up, throws himself against it, and goes, Were you the storm? <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Label label, and Doge truly stole every comedic beat in this. Sh- it was so, they're so fucking funny. And Zane, actually. Zane also very good. Um, But, like... <sighs> Yeah, it's just, you know, we got to spend, like, a season with Scarlemagne in isolation, and because he's, like, in a in an enclosure, nobody trusts him to not, you know, be evil, and also there's always a visual reminder of what he did, because Song's hand is covered in gold, so you never get to forget what happened at Orem, and, uh, um... I don't know, him and Wolf start bonding and he starts talking about like, you know, you know, you got to protect Kipo from herself. And uh, it, it becomes about protecting his sister um, and less about how vindictive he is about one, the fact that she was born and two, um, about th- what happened with his his adoptive parents. And uh, he just literally sacrifices himself. And it paints such a stark contrast between because him and Amelia, Amelia's irredeemable, but Scarlet Mane did some fucked up shit too. In a way where, like, he would have to reckon with the things that he did for the rest of his life. So, it is sad that he died, but he got to choose to make the ultimate sacrifice because he gave up his quest for power. And that is just such a... Just, like, from a writing standpoint, just such, like, a wonderful resolution and such a wonderful contrast to what happened with Amelia and how she clung to power and life till the very end and you know you could talk about how pride and greed and power are like the source of all evil in especially in a in a universe that doesn't really do like money uh but damn did I cry from that moment to not since the Lion King, like watching the Lion King probably for the first time, did I wish for a dead character to get up and to yeah. like pull through at the last second. Like, oh man, I was so, I, I'm, yeah, I'm so sad. It was, it was so good. It was such a, such a well put together moment. Um, I mean, going off that, like, I was thinking because like, I mean, you, you do a web comic and Kipo actually originated as a web comic, um, Rad Rad Seacrest, you know, started this as as a red uh, web comic, and it got turned into this this show. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, like, is this is this something that, like, you know, as a creator, like, would you ever want to to do something in the Kipo universe? Because you know, my thoughts are like, I think everything ended so well for what the story was trying to go for that, like, sort of you know, messing around any further would be like like treading on holy ground basically like we we don't want to go back and and mess with the universe because like if it ended on a satisfactory note and you know everybody ends up where they're supposed to be like i i would really hate for anything to like impair that have i ever talked to you about the um broadway adaptation of anastasia the 1991 don bluth film um no okay so um if you try to find the Anastasia soundtrack on Spotify, you can't. Um, but what you can find is the Anastasia uh, soundtrack as adapted for Broadway, the original cast recording, or the original Broadway recording, sorry. They are different. Um, and uh, we all know Anastasia, the 1991 uh, Fox Down Booth film before, you know, Disney had a complete monopoly on everything. And uh, that in itself plays with history. Um, by plays, I mean it is super wrong about <laughs> <and> everything. <laughs> But it is its own thing, and it is memorable, and it is, you know, people are still nostalgic for it. I'm constantly nostalgic for it. I rewatch it all the time in the dark of the night to Bob. Um, A couple of years ago, um, the name of the composer, Stephen Flaherty. Stephen Flaherty and, um, you know, some stage writers and, and, you know, whatever other ensemble. I don't really 
I'm not too familiar with the history of the show, but they decided to adapt Anastasia for Broadway, which... <sighs> Anastasia, if you take your nostalgia goggles off for like second is not actually a good musical there's four songs in the beginning and they never sing again um so what they did was they took anastasia and they said hey what if we made it about the revolution and they added like a whole new villain they took away rasputin they added like seven new songs um in the dark of the night got cut completely but the melody of in the dark of the night is now a part of a song called stay i pray you which makes me cry all the time because it's about leaving russia um and it's just this whole thing anastasia's big last stand is with this um character whose name escapes me because i truly don't care about him um but yeah uh uh it i listened to it the first time i i saw it live i saw it performed when it toured through austin and um it isn't a bad musical. If you're, if this is your introduction to the world of Anastasia, I think it's fine. You know, Christy Altimer does a really good job. It's, it's a good show. But the thing about it that I walked away with and that, you know, when I, you know, when you walk out, you have conversations with your friends about what you just experienced together. The thing I was talking to my friend about was, you know, if they wanted to write a show about the revolution, they should have just written a show about the revolution. So I feel like Kipo is such a perfect little parcel like i agree with you i, th I think it's it, it is kind of treading on on holy ground um that you playing in the world invites um not that you couldn't do it or do it well but i to i would be afraid that it would invite expounding on like the darker parts of it in a way that doesn't necessarily follow the messaging of the original show um which is very specific and i guess that's the thing about children's media is like we could you know rf Guang herself has written uh, uh stories from the point of view of neja in the world of of the poppy war but there's a lot to do there that's uh, there's like a very broad infrastructure kipo and a lot of children's media don't have that infrastructure because they're so loose with the lore so there's just a lot of room for interpretation and uh Listen, as somebody who has seen some spinoffs, interpretation is not always a good thing. So, um, you know, I would be I would be nervous about it if um, that being said, something something more expository or something like a, like a, a wolf backstory movie. I think that's that's different. Um, but but going into the future with it would make me very nervous. I know you mentioned you would want to work in something similar. Was there something you specifically wanted to see expanded or is it just kind of like a world you want to play in? And if so, like what? What are the elements of the world that like really appeal to you? Um, I mean, I think just that the idea of like, well, firstly, there's like weird, like creatures, right? I I love shit like that. Like, there's yeah, a, there's awesome. a fucking yeah. I mean, there's like a a sea a mutant sea cucumber at one point that's not even in the show for five seconds, but I still ruled so much that I had to write it down. Um, so I I love the you know monster design. Um, I just really like the idea of like sort of like a lighthearted apocalypse, right? It's not Fallout <laughs> or, you know, Mad Max. It's just like, you know, people kind of getting by in, in this new world and, and trying to make a, a nice community. And like, I don't know, I, I maybe I think it's just the, the you know, the, the colorful, fun songs and incredibly funny jokes. Um, Right, that's the thing. I like my if I was gonna work in anything in this, it would be writing, and like I don't have any sort of creative talents beyond writing. So like, I think that that's that's a huge portion of Kipo is the music and the visual design that make it so appealing. Um, and I think that's hard to to capture that in in only written word. So, you know, I I don't know that I would want to take a stab at it unless I had like a whole fucking team of uh, artists and musicians at my back um but i do i do think it would be just interesting i don't know L like like we just keep saying like it, it seems wrong to try to go forward but there is just a selfish part of me that's like i want to hang out with kipo and benson and wolf and dave and jamak and yonsu some more like i just want to see these characters more because they make me happy um, but you know, all, all good stories have to come to an end and generally the sooner, the better is, is uh truism that holds. Yeah. Uh, God, you definitely don't want to drag, um, drag something out. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the supernatural discourse. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. 
<laughs> Y'all, I don't know shit about Supernatural. I just know I've been following the memes and sometimes I can't tell what's real and what's not. And sometimes the things I think are fake, like the Impala going to heaven, are real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also the fact that uh, fucking the Dusty person, whoever, who got uh-huh. sent to Turbo Hell... Uh-huh, like there is the whole up. yeah. Apparently the the Spanish cut had it, the love reciprocated, but apparently the fucking U.S. censors got to it or some shit. Oh, apparently, um, I've heard it compared to the electoral com- college coming in because every country has its own dub, and in every country it's reciprocated. But also, um, oh my god, what was it? There was um, Misha Collins tweeted something where he was like. I thought it was fine. And then people yelled at him and he was like, maybe I should just listen. And like, oh, like, holy shit, y'all. What is happening? 15 seasons. I, what, I got on Tumblr in 2008 and that show, people were horny for, for Dean and Cass. And for, I had to endure Super Hulak. I had to endure Mishapocalypse. I had to endure all this shit on a goddamn website that I still use. And like, the funniest thing I heard is that my neighbor's friend apparently was like, <laughs> the Apollo going to heaven is what started the Catholic canon in the Cars universe. All right. Nope. That's my new, that's my new work. I want to start writing about the, the crusades that happened in the Cars universe. Disney Pixar, get at me because that's all I'm going to think about for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's just so funny. Also, apparently, Dean got got by a fucking screw in a vampire juggalo barn. I don't know if that's real. I know the screw part is. I don't know about the vampire juggalos, but also, apparently... Layla, if I was your grandchild, I would have you rush to an ER right now because it sounds like you're having a delirium-induced hallucination. What the fuck are you talking about? Speaking of resurrections, everyone in this show has died a billion times. Apparently at one point Dean died and Castiel the Angel brought him back, but he brought him back like fresh, like unvaccinated. Fresh? (laughs) Unvaccinated on everything. Just just a new human body. And so the fans were like, wait, so is that what killed him because of the tetanus? Because he was unvaccinated. Guys, end your stories. I'm begging you. (laughs) Five seasons max, please. But also, listeners, I know there's not a ton of you, but mortifiedpod at gmail.com. If any of you can walk me through point by point what the fuck happened in the last three episodes of this television show, just summarize it for me. I will, I don't know, I'll send you a sketch. If you give me your mailing address, I'll send you an Amazon gift card, like, guys... (laughs) than the Game of Thrones finale. Like, how? Uh, homophobia wins. Really. Homophobia. I just... She wins. Uh, I wish that I was in a position to make incredibly bad television for millions of people. That sounds like the dream. Oh my god. I would literally... Give me just like a horrible mishmash of a franchise to make a mess out of. I will throw spaghetti at the wall for as long as that spaghetti is funded by Viacom. Like, (laughs) oh, we would have so much fun. Why can't we, let's do that. Let's send people this podcast and be like, hey, do you want another Supernatural? We got a wealth of knowledge about dumb bullshit. One of us is gay and brown, so you get brownie points for that. The other one is straight and brown, so you get some brownie points for that. And you can pay us white people money to fuck things up. <laughs> and I think we could make a living off of that. That sounds great. You know, DreamWorks, uh, Cartoon Network, uh, Toy Animation, hit us up. Peacock. <laughs> Peacock. Viacom. For, for fucking crying out loud. Yeah. I'll take hey, whoever. Showtime. Show- hey, Showtime. Come on, Showtime. <laughs> Hit us up. No, for real. It. I wish, I wish, I wish we were in the position to um, 
to to just pull a supernatural or uh, be Benioff and Weiss, the writers of uh, Game of Thrones, who spectacularly fucked up a franchise and then got are writing that like Chinese fantasy, the name of which escapes me. Um, did you hear about that bullshit? No, what? <laughs> They're writing some like Chinese epic that's being adapted for um, television, which there are neither Chinese nor good writers. So yeah, that seems what's bad. up. <sighs> That's another thing Kibo does great is that all the voice actors are the actual races of the people that they're portraying, which fucking slaps. Like, I looked up the the guy who plays uh, Young Su and he's Korean. It's just so nice. <laughs> there was recently a big debacle on over at Fireside Fiction for because they had a white man um, do a narration for a black woman character. And like he apparently pronounced Atlanta extremely racistly. Um, <laughs> Boise, um, Idaho. Y'all, just... What is that movie uh, where the white dude pretends to be a black woman to be a radio host? Uh, hold on, I'm gonna find it. Loquisha. Jesus fucking Christ. made last year in the year... Last year? Last year, Loquisha came out. And it is about a white man pretending to be a black woman so that he could get a radio show. And I watched a video on this shit. Not the movie itself, because why would I put myself through that? But apparently, there, he, like, the whole thing ends in, like, like, people should have the same opportunities regardless of their race. But because it's coming from the point of view of a white man, it's just basically anti-affirmative action. I'm like, what? 2019? We're doing this? It has one star on IMDb, which I think is very funny. Oh, um, my lord. Yeah, so uh, cast your cast your voices appropriately. Um, I think uh, that's very important because then you won't pronounce Atlanta racist. Um, hire people of color to be on your design staff and on your in your positions of leadership. And then make more kipos. Make more tight, not condescending to its audience, well-written like musically driven fun shows about serious topics like give us because life is weird and sometimes funny and involves obelisks in utah so just like let your media reflect that oh my god uh wow we were really winding down and then we took the supernatural (laughs) off ramp into turbo hell for a second I'm always in turbo hell when I think about that show. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. Why do I know so much about it? I've never seen an episode. Not one episode of this show. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Except I know that Jared Padalecki lives in the city. That's it. That's all I know. No, the other one. I don't care. But one of them is here. So, okay. Good. Anyway, uh, watch people in the, the Age of Wonder Beasts. Aaron, where can people find you? Oh, my God. Jeez. Uh, people can find me on the internet at AaronSXL on Twitter. Um, you can also listen to my other podcast at MB, MBF, and me. Um, the day that this goes up, our episode on, um, I want to say, it was the short one. I'm in love with a church girl goes up. It's extremely funny, despite the fact that we didn't talk about the show at all because the show's so fucking bad. Um, but uh, yeah, I highly recommend that you watch that. And also, uh, Michael, thankfully, has taken over editing uh privileges to that show so he's also going to edit the two hours we spent talking with our mormon friend about um uh what's it called um latter days which was wild um so yeah look out for those um layla where can people find you on the internet oh boise idaho i'm uh at l-e-y-l-s-e-s on twitter tumblr instagram um you can read my essays at laylamamadova.com slash blog it is almost december which means i'm either gonna put up a uh why i love studio trigger diatribe or um my uh feminism and legally blonde essay um about how the musical handles womanhood and how the the show or the movie handles it um and also my comic is coming back in the next couple of weeks um astroheartcomic.com you can go read it um if you also want to talk about inherited trauma and um the cycles of emotional pressure and abuse anyway um yeah uh, uh we don't know what we're doing the next couple of weeks uh we gotta we gotta kind of revisit our plan for december um michael um, is available to record next sunday if we want to do that at like perfect yeah earlier so 
Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, uh, uh, my cat was sick, so a lot of our, our planning has been kind of thrown for a loop. Uh, but we will be taking a week or two off in December for the winter holidays. Um, we will we will come back at you with an itinerary in the newsletter that you're going to sign up for after you're finished uh, listening to this episode, the link to which is in our show notes. Um, Aaron, you want to take us out on quote? Um, real quick, I just want to plug one more thing. Uh, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at uh, keshko.bandcamp.com. Um, yes, Layla, I will uh, take us out uh, on a quote remembering our favorite lumber cat. Like he always used to say, Yum yin yo! <laughs> <laughs> Yum yin loans you yard! <laughs> oh, I'm gonna miss that guy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>